Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute of medical advice of physicians. You may review the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at bonehealthandosteoporosis.org. Hi everyone, welcome to Bone Talk. I'm Claire Gill, CEO of the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation. Joining me today is Dr. Andrea Singer, Chief Medical Officer at BHOF. Her everyday job is Director of Women's Primary Care and Director of Bone Densitometry in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital here in Washington, D.C. I asked Dr. Singer to join me today to reflect on the work we've done at BHOF over the past year and get her thoughts on some of the priorities for 2023 for both patient education and clinical education. Dr. Singer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for inviting me and having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to kind of talk through some of the great things that we've worked on over the past year that many of our listeners don't know about and talk a little bit about some of the things that we could be and should be doing in 2023. So let's dive in. We talked recently that it's been such a busy year, and I'm sure that's been the same for people everywhere. But if you were to choose one thing that stood out for you from the programs and activities that BHOF has done in 2022, what would that be? Well, it's a hard choice because as we'll talk about, I think we've done a lot of great things. But one that stands out for me, and full disclosure, I'm very biased about this answer because this is something that I chair on behalf of BHOF. But what stood out for me this year was our annual clinical conference, or what we call ISO, or the Interdisciplinary Symposium on Osteoporosis. We miss seeing people in person. We did hold it virtually again in May this year, and we usually choose May because that's National Osteoporosis Month. But we felt we needed to hold it virtually because of COVID. Despite us only seeing each other remotely, I heard from so many of my peers that attended that it was our best conference and best content ever, and that really stood out for me. I'm really so proud of the clinical education that we provide to multiple people every year, and to know that my colleagues in the medical community felt it was among the best that we've done and one of the best clinical conferences on osteoporosis that there is was really incredibly rewarding. I think we had some great content, a really different and interesting plenary session for a keynote speech. And I'm glad that people felt that they got something out of it, despite the fact that we were all sitting in our own homes or offices or locations. That was definitely one of the highlights for sure. I would think that too, when I think about over the past year, but some people might not know what the ISO is, as you said, you know, who the audience is and why it's so important. So can you give a little background on that? Yeah, happy to do that. This is our sort of premier annual clinical meeting where we really discuss topics that are foundational for clinicians who are taking care of patients with osteoporosis, new developments in the field, new studies that have come out to really try to make sure that 
clinicians are armed with all of the information they need to offer the best care. The name of the conference sort of says it all, right? Interdisciplinary Symposium on Osteoporosis. And a number of years ago, we changed the title to interdisciplinary to reflect the fact that we are targeting multiple disciplines and specialties. I often say that there's sort of a double-edged sword to osteoporosis care. It doesn't belong to any one specialty, which is a good thing. Anybody in theory can take care of osteoporosis. Sometimes that means that everybody thinks somebody else is going to do it and it doesn't get taken care of. But our goal is to really target all of the people who may be involved in care and make sure that they have the knowledge they need and to foster different specialties and different people working together. So instead of siloed care, you have a team approach to treat the whole patient, which really should lead to better care, better satisfaction, better outcomes. I think that having an annual meeting really reflects the need to continue lifelong learning for anybody who's treating osteoporosis. This holds true, obviously, for other diseases too, right? I'm sort of a PCP during the daytime with a focus on bone. um, And so we do this across the board. But we want to reach more clinicians with our educational tools, including our conference, as well as uh, through BoneSource, which is our website for healthcare providers, for resources and educational programming. And so I think we have multiple ways to try to reach the people who need to be reached. That's terrific. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, because I don't think that people really understand how much we do to help clinicians learn what they need to know about osteoporosis and bone. And we do provide some of that unique educational experience for healthcare providers. We're really lucky that we have a fantastic team at BHOF that works with you to make sure we keep our accreditation status and we can provide such important and much needed training for clinicians. Besides leading our own training, you also travel to speak at other conferences on BHOF's behalf to elevate the importance of bone health there too. Can you talk a bit about some of those conferences you've gone to in the past year? Yeah, this past year was a little bit of a busy one. And I was present at several conferences to talk about bone health, wearing my hat as a clinician, but really my hat as chief medical officer at BHOF too, hard to sort of separate them. Uh, They really merge much of what I do in clinical practice. So in May, around the same time as our own conference, I actually gave a plenary talk at the American College of OBGYN's annual meeting. So this is the large annual conference for practicing obstetricians and gynecologists and was asked to speak on the updated guidelines there. ACOG had released their updated osteoporosis guidelines. We had released our updated clinician's guide. And over the past couple of years, actually since 2020, there have been a number of other societies, including one I'll talk about in a moment, who released their updated guidelines. And so I really tried to put all of this in context for providers who are essentially treating women all of the time across the lifespan and should have some of this knowledge. In Over the summer in August, I spoke at the Santa Fe Bone Symposium. This is a meeting that has been going on for more than 20 years now on an annual basis in New Mexico, as the name would suggest. And it brings together clinicians, again, from disciplines, but it is also immediately preceded by a fellows conference. 
so that endocrine fellows who are still in training apply and come for two days to present their own research, to learn from experts, and hopefully to get them excited to become boneheads, as we sort of lovingly call ourselves, right? You can't call us that, but we can call ourselves that. So that hopefully as they go out into the world, whatever their practice setting is going to be, they will continue to focus on osteoporosis and bone. And it was a real pleasure to be there with some young folks who are excited, bright, and really interested in bone. And then in October, I spoke at NAMS, which is the North American Menopause Society. So one of the leading organizations that supports practitioners who focus on women's care, particularly from midlife and beyond. And I gave a plenary session on the treatment of osteoporosis there and then had the opportunity to really answer questions and again, hopefully spark some interest. So those three conferences, in addition to our annual meeting, were really some of the highlights. There are often smaller settings or grand rounds, places that I will speak. I just gave grand rounds to the orthopedic group at Georgetown, actually, a week and a half ago. So I'm happy to share, you know, my sort of passion for osteoporosis with anybody who's willing to listen, again, with the idea that we need more people who can really help us treat patients who have this very prevalent disease. Well, we feel really very fortunate, obviously, that you're associated with our organization and represent us so well at all of these clinical conferences. And it really is important to bring that education to these practitioners at conferences that they're attending, where there's so many other important women's health and men's health issues that are happening and and to be able to address bone health from the BHOF perspective. So we really appreciate you doing that. We've also been doing educational programs targeting primary care and internal medicine clinicians like you and related disciplines around the country as part of our Healthy Bones, Healthy Communities program. And that program, you and other subject matter experts in several cities lead these programs. Can you explain a little bit about the program and where we held them this year? I think the background to why we came up with the idea of doing this type of program and why it's so important is something I mentioned at the end of my last little answer, and that is that osteoporosis is a really prevalent disease. In other words, there are many people in the United States and worldwide for that matter who are affected by osteoporosis who either have osteoporosis or low bone mass that puts them at increased risk for fracture. And fractures can be life-altering events. Despite how important this is, it remains an underdiagnosed and undertreated disease. There are far more people with osteoporosis than there are osteoporosis specialists. And so if we're ever going to conquer this and make a difference and reduce the risk for fracture, we really need to sort of start at the grassroots or ground level, right, and involve internal medicine family medicine, OBGYN, those who are in or under that umbrella of primary care so that they have the knowledge, the comfort level, the ability to treat patients and advise them correctly. And that was the idea of the city's program. It was really to go to some different geographic locations that I'll mention in a moment across the U.S., cities, you know, I feel like city mouse, country mouse, but cities, rural programs, suburbs, to really try to create interest and take a cohort of clinicians 
who are involved in this program not only just have them learn for a day and a half or across several days for those that we did virtually, but to then have them start this as a long-term, hopefully lifelong, but sort of a three-year commitment to ongoing learning to learn themselves and then to teach others, whether that's teaching other peers in their cities, whether it's coming up with a program to educate the lay public or multifaceted approaches. But the idea is to figure out ways to really elevate the care on the local level with having experts as backup, but creating some PCP experts, so to speak, and people who are impassioned to do this. We've done eight cities or are to do eight cities in total. In 2022, we held virtual programs in Durham, North Carolina, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And we were live just a few weeks ago in Chicago, Illinois. Our final training will be held in San Diego, California in early 2023. It's really exciting to see all those great projects that we've been developed collectively by the participants in these programs to be better about bone health education in their communities. And you've also been working with your colleagues at MedStar on another program that we've been piloting to establish a system-wide post-fracture care program. Can you share some highlights from that program from your perspective? Yeah, so I think this is something that's really important. A lot of what I talked about before and part of our outreach to primary care in the communities was focused to a degree on primary prevention, identifying patients who have osteoporosis who are at risk for fracture and trying to prevent that first fracture, which is clearly important. But there's also something else that gets neglected, and that's the patient who's already had a first fracture, trying to identify them, intervene to prevent the second or other subsequent fractures. Because once somebody's had one fracture, they are at a much higher risk for having future fractures. And we don't do a great job nationally or globally on either front in terms of screening all people who are at risk or preventing second fractures. And yet the patient who's had a fracture should be easy to identify because they've broken something. They're in a cast, they're using a cane, whatever the case may be. So this program is really designed to help build out what we call fracture liaison services or secondary fracture prevention programs, which are systematic ways, a multidisciplinary approach to make sure that when a patient comes into, in this case, a healthcare system such as MedStar, if they're 50 years of age or older and they've broken something, that they get identified, they are evaluated by a care team who is familiar with osteoporosis and post-fracture care. So not just the orthopedist who fixes the fracture, but somebody who can look at, do they have underlying causes for the fracture or underlying conditions that are contributing? order a bone density, order an evaluation, make an appropriate diagnosis, and then where indicated, treat that patient with non-pharmacologic things like diet, exercise, calcium, vitamin D, all of those important things, as well as use medications as needed, and then follow them through so that we make sure they have ongoing treatment. I had established a fracture liaison service at MedStar Georgetown a number of years ago, but my counterparts in the North, which are sort of our Baltimore hospitals, 
had not yet really done so. And so this was to help them establish a similar program to make sure that patients are getting captured, identified, evaluated, treated. I should mention that there are two hospital systems that are actually involved in this. So easy for me to talk about MedStar because I've been involved with that and sort of the expert or advisor to help the North region. But Atrium Health in North Carolina is the other pilot site. And our goal is to see, can we improve what happens, the care that post-fracture patients get by having an established systematized program as compared to what standard of care was before we started this pilot project. And I can tell you from some early data, I don't want to give away all of the punchlines and I won't give you numbers and statistics, but the answer is yes. We can make a significant difference in terms of the care that patients receive. And we hope that this may then be an example and learnings for how other programs can do the same, what works, what the challenges and barriers are, and how we can continually try to improve care across the country. It's really so important. I, you know, I think we take for granted that some of these programs are happening in communities and that we don't really understand that many times when we're talking from a patient perspective about all the work that's going on to help train clinicians as well. And I also want to you know, point out that in the programs that we've been talking about, all of the time that the clinicians put in to be involved in our programs, do the training, learn more to, you know, about how to better care for their patients, is all done voluntarily. And I think that's really such a wonderful expression of how deeply the medical community really does care about their patients and want to improve the bone health of all of their patients. And it's so trying these days because we put so much onto particularly primary care and internal medicine physicians and family practice medicine doctors that they, they just don't have time. And so the fact that so many of these clinicians have taken time to learn more from us, I think says a lot about, you know, the opportunity and the real potential to bring about better care. And so we're grateful to you and all the the educators who have helped them, but we're also really grateful to all the people participating in these programs. And I hope now our listeners have a better sense of, you know, some of the ways that we've been working to bring about better bone health care with clinicians and with other healthcare providers. And we have more exciting educational programs planned for 2023, so that's good. But I'd like to take a minute now to talk about our educational outreach to patients and their care partners. Again, it's been a really busy year, but if you had to choose one program that stands out to you the most, what would that be, Dr. Singer? I think I'm most excited about the work we've done to create a new digital tool for people to better navigate their way through understanding their own risk for osteoporosis and what to do about it if they've been newly diagnosed or what to consider next if they've been living with osteoporosis, perhaps for a number of years. It's called Your Path to Good Bone Health. And we really came up with the final tool, which is being tweaked for the very last few moments by gathering a focus group of patients, care partners, and a focus group of clinicians separately, and then brought everyone together to help develop the content and its features. I think it's one of the best collaborative tools that we've ever created. And I'm really excited for it to launch in January. It has different options for patients depending on where they enter 
the tool, in other words, their own status, and perhaps what their questions and needs are. And they're then able to navigate through and link to important educational information. I hope it's going to be easy to use, but I think it really will help better access for patients. And then certainly we always have all of the information that we have on our website for patients as well. And I assume you may hit on that or touch on that, but I wanted to make sure that I put in a plug for the (laughs) patient education sides of our website, because, you know, there's a lot of great information there too. Yeah. Great info there. I think that's one of the most exciting programs I'm looking forward to seeing to come to fruition too. You know, it's really so important that we think a lot about what we can do that's most helpful for people and what they might find most useful in what we we provide. And it's really important that we get directly from patients and their care partners what they're thinking and how we can be most effective before we start creating these tools. You know, and always we also want to make sure that everything that we provide is scientifically proven. It has practical information available. And so having our clinical experts in bone contribute their ideas too is really, really important. And we'll be doing more of these types of focus groups and expert collaboration in the coming year. And I think those of you listening, if you receive our emails too, you might have seen in one of my email outreach this year, I also asked people to help us choose what topic we at BHOF should prioritize in 2023. And we sort of gave a variety of potential topics around things that matter to bone health. And exercise for bone health throughout the lifespan was the clear winner. So you can be on the lookout for more from us on exercise and safe movement for both consumers and for healthcare professional training, because they need to know that too. And we'll get that all out to you in the new year. I see we're almost out of time for this podcast. We could probably go on and on. There's so much we could cover about the types of programs and resources that BHOF has available. And thank you for mentioning, Dr. Singer, that our website really is our most in-depth resource for patients. And it has a lot of different information available. But I hope we can do more of these review-type podcasts in the future. But for now, what is one thing you wish people would do more of for their bone health in 2023? Oh, well, that's a tough question I, when I have to choose because there are so many things that we can do to be proactive. But I guess if I had to pick one thing, I would encourage people, empower them to take charge of their own bone health and not necessarily wait or rely on a clinician to ask about bones. So if you certainly are a person over the age of 50, woman over 50, man, maybe a little bit older, or somebody younger who has risk factors, or you're unsure of your risk factors and whether you need a bone density test or what you should be doing, ask about that. Clinicians are often busy. There are lots of things in the office, particularly in a primary care setting that we try to cover in a relatively short office visit. So it's not that I think people don't want to take care of bone health. It may not be top of mind or there may be other things that come up. But if you are proactive about it, somebody will then respond. And if you are somebody who should or is a candidate for a bone density test or some type of evaluation and you have not yet had one, ask your provider about it. You know your cholesterol levels. You often know your hemoglobin A1C or your blood pressure. Those are surrogate markers for underlying disease. 
the same way that bone density is for osteoporosis and for fracture risk. And having that information, at least a baseline at the appropriate time, can be very useful for us to sort of figure out what needs to come afterwards. That was a long-winded answer to your simple question, but there it is. Oh, that is a perfect way to wrap up this conversation and a great takeaway for people in 2023. So please do advocate for yourself and empower your yourself to be able to ask your provider about your bone health at whatever stage of life you're in. So Dr. Singer, thank you so much for joining me today and for all you do as our chief medical officer. We'll have links to some of the program highlights we talked about today, as well as other BHOF resources and materials at bonetalk.org. For more information about how to keep your bones strong and healthy for life, please do visit our website at bonehealthandosteoporosis.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please do two things. Subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode, and please share this episode and all the others with your friends and family. Thanks for joining us. I hope we'll see you and hear from you on another episode of Bone Talk. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the bone health and osteoporosis foundations podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel BHOF's mission with financial support, visit bonehealthandosteoporosis.org.